Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a show about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my lovely co-host, Jillian Parker. Hi everyone! How are you doing today, Jillian? I'm doing great. I'm very exhausted, but it's fine. You want to tell them what time we're recording? <laughs> yes, it is now 11... 11? Ah, oh, make a wish, guys! I just wished for sleep. Oh, well, now you're not going to get it because you said you wish out loud. I wasn't so... getting it anyway, so... <laughs> you make some good points. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's okay. We only have two days of class left, uh, which um, is really no, exciting. No, German meets during our study period, so... Well, that's really annoying. Agreed. I'm very sorry for you. It's okay. I'll pull through. But you're already done one of your classes. Yes, this is true. I had my final in my libertarian class today, <laughs> and... Yes, so now that's over. It's the best when classes are over. Like, even if you liked them, finishing them is an amazing feeling. Yes, <laughs> like, I feel oh my so God. free. I just never, I never have to think about that ever again. I mean, I feel like you'll probably will think about libertarianism again because it's interesting, but... Ugh, it's so interesting. <laughs> One day we'll have an episode that's just libertarian theory. <laughs> it's literally just going to be me being like, this is blah, 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 blah. And also, I think my views align with this now since I know so much about it. <laughs> I honestly think I like the idea of libertarianism so much because I do know, like, everything about it because I spent a semester studying it. That's how I feel about liberalism because I study sociology. (laughs) Okay, fair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we spent a few minutes putting off talking about the election. So we took the last week off because we were home for Thanksgiving. Yes. And we're not together in this lovely dorm room to record. Mm-hmm. But now we're back. Things have happened. So many things have happened. We're going to yes. talk about some of them because we don't want to be here all night. But yeah, Trump is assembling his cabinet. Uh, it's looking not quite as white and male as it used to. But oh, yes. Much so. Elaine, Elaine Chow, I believe, is Transportation Secretary? Transportation? Yes. Transportation Secretary. Which is interesting. She's, like, she stands out among his other picks for being, you know, not white. She's also also Mitch McConnell's wife. This gets into the whole issue that we've been seeing with Trump assembling his cabinet so far, which is he ran on this very populist message, Mm -hmm. um, and this whole idea that he was going to drain the swamp and get rid of all the Washington insiders and pull in new blood and all Mm -hmm. of this stuff. No, hasn't done that one bit. Like, <laughs> has not shown any attempt to do this. Um, like, all of these people are, like, very established Washington insiders. Elaine Chow has been around for years. Mm-hmm. She was there during the um, Bush administration. Um, He's picking Goldman Sachs people for positions. Oh, no, but that's... They have no government experience, so I guess that's his... Yeah, but he also ran against the idea of Goldman Sachs, like being involved in politics like that there was a the thing for months was that hillary clinton gave speeches to goldman sachs and that was a thing for so long that he Mm -hmm. um pushed pushed back against and fought against and said that was awful and and corruption and everything and turned around and hired a bunch of goldman sachs people it is it it is interesting to watch the people who voted for trump as an anti-establishment vote watching this happen and are suddenly realizing that Trump doesn't actually care about them and is going to fill his cabinet with insiders and Goldman Sachs people, uh, they're not pleased. No. No, they're not. And the big story around potential cabinet appointments 
at the moment. Who knows what it'll be by tomorrow, but we're recording this kind of late, so hopefully it'll still be relevant, was Dinner with Mitt Romney. Mm, there are so many great memes, though, that have already come out from that. It's so good. I don't know if you, all, if you all have seen this picture, but, you know, there's always the picture of when the politician sells their soul to Donald Trump. There's, like, a Chris Christie's picture. There's that gorgeous picture of Ted Cruz making phone calls, and he looks like he wants to die. There's the picture. <laughs> and now there's a picture of Mitt Romney, who looks like someone is drilling nails into his hand as he's having dinner with Donald Trump. Correction. I feel like he looks like someone who wishes he was having nails driven through his hands. Mitt Romney would prefer any amount of uh, pain over the emotional distress. (laughs) And then he goes and publishes this whole thing, this, this statement about how great Donald Trump is and how he totally believes in him. Yeah, he said something like, I had an, a wonderful, amazing dinner with Donald Trump and we talked about all of these great things. And I was just like, okay, well, that's a stretch. And it's... So this gets into this very concerning pattern of these politicians taking a moral stance against Trump for the things that he said and the things that he's done and then turning around and just being like, mm, just kidding. Like Mitt Romney, um, after the the tapes came out that um, in which Trump was bragging about sexual assault, uh, Romney put out the statement on Twitter saying like, like this is completely unacceptable and this is degrading to, um, well, I think he actually said like, this is degrading to our mothers and wives. And I was like, also they're people, but you know, the, the thought was there. Ugh. Um, <laughs> Stop. That's a conversation for another time. Ugh, but, they, oh, but yeah, but but he was saying, like, this is awful and, like, he should not be allowed to be president when he speaks about women like this. Um, and now suddenly he turns around and no, Trump is great. Yeah, now he's Trump's BFF. He's in the running for Secretary of State now. We don't know if he's going to be it, but it's, it's, it's weird, people. It's weird. And there, there are all sorts of reasons why this could be happening the same thing happened with ted cruz ted cruz spoke out against them a lot when he was running against him and then by the end of the campaign was making phone calls and part of it is of course trying to stay in the establishment and to pick up possible cabinet jobs Mm -hmm. like secretary of state um trying to stay in the good graces of the republican party and all that there's also the you were going to take a moral stance and then you didn't so what happened I do understand where they're coming from, though, just because there is this notion that we are greater than the sum of our parts, and so it's more important for the Republican Party to stand as one unit than have individuals um, of having different opinions and thus, you know, sort of creating this unnecessary tension when they want to make progress, and they can only do that by being unified that's an interesting argument and i guess it depends on what the goals are like what are they going to be working towards Mm -hmm. as trump's cabinet Mm -hmm. definitely and also like you said with the moral stance like this i feel is negative for their at least i believe personally um but i also think that they're taking one for the team in the most if we want to make this sports related, because Quinn and I know everything about sports. 
Yeah, also, side note, we're sorry about getting the name of the baseball team wrong again. I literally don't want to say it because I'm afraid I'll get it wrong again, but someone pointed that out and we were like, did you expect anything less? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so, taking one for the team, um, putting the team first, there's no I in team. There's so many idioms with the word team. Mm, Yes. But that also... (sighs) I feel like you can frame that question in different ways because you, on one hand, you can say, oh, as Trump's cabinet, they can work um, towards like a greater establishment vision and can work against his more extremist Mm -hmm. ideas and toward like a just a a more traditionally conservative ideas um, and policies. On the other hand, there's if they are giving into Trump, not even saying like I, because it's not like they're releasing statements saying, I would be happy to take a part in this establishment as a member of the GOP who is working towards it. No, they're coming out and saying Trump is great and he's going to do great things. Like, it's very specifically about him. And so if they're compromising that and not even defending um, going back on what they said before, just like suddenly coming out in support of him, what is going on behind those closed doors that they're making that switch and does that mean that they won't stand up against his extremist views? Because I'm not sure I have faith that they will, even if their personal views are um, much more, we'll say, mainstream and um, less fringe and racist and all of that. Um, I don't know if I have faith that they'll stand against them still. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's also that psychological belief, you know, uh, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. So maybe they're doing this with, like you said, the intention to sort of band together and sort of steer Trump in the right direction. But there is definitely that th- threat of being brainwashed or something. and Or blackmails. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to start conspiracy theories because we don't know any, like, literally, ha- we personally have no <laughs> evidence whatsoever that they're being blackmailed. But that kind of switch just concerns me. Like, that dynamic concerns me. And not even necessarily, like, explicit blackmail, just the idea of, like, you won't have a job in this administration, you won't have a career as a politician without being on Trump's good side. I mean, he's that's the leader. kind of true. I mean, if I want, if I wanted to, you know, work at, work at, uh, be a member of his cabinet, like, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna say negative things, and then also I'm not gonna say neutral things, because then that shows that I'm not really dedicated to the cause. Yeah, which makes sense, and I understand that's how politics work, but when that means, like, getting on the side of the fringe racism, that has really concerning implications for the future of the country. Yeah. If being a, if, like, being a Republican politician means getting in line with Trump's extremist policies, that's bad. That's very bad. Definitely. And we don't know yet. Maybe there will be pushback. We love optimism here. <laughs> It hasn't been proved correct very often in the past month or and so. By, by <laughs> often, we mean never. <laughs> so we're just so throwing some that. theories out there. <laughs> and then there's a whole other story going on. Still, we still have election news. It's not even gone yet um, nope. because Joe Stein is leading a recount in several key states. Mm-hmm. She raised like millions of dollars for it too. Yeah, so she is officially filed in Michigan where... Trump won Michigan by an incredibly small margin. Oh, yeah. That it was, was... It was, like, 10,000 votes. I was very surprised by that, actually, that he won Michigan. Yeah, it was very close. Um, and it was... I think that one was a surprise. 
and there's they're also I think trying to do recounts in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania which were also states with um very close margins and Mm -hmm. um were surprising that they went that way um I'm more surprised about Pennsylvania I mean although I guess I mean the whole state's basically red except for Philadelphia right yeah I mean a lot of places are red except for the major cities and still go blue (laughs) So this whole recount business is very interesting. There are some people who think that the recount um, gives us the possibility to sway the election. That's very, very, very unlikely at this point. Um, I think all of the states that are being recounted would have to swing in the other direction. um, And that's a total of over 100,000 votes, I think, about 100,000 votes, um, which were not technically impossible. Very, very unlikely. Extremely unlikely, because if they're what were issues with the with the original um voting it would it would not be by hundreds of thousands hopefully hopefully <laughs> one would hope <laughs> it's also important to point out that this is not an audit of the vote um this is not saying that um that they've discovered evidence of fraud and they need to audit the vote so this is just a recount um which is not unprecedented um it has been done before but what's weird about this is it's not hillary clinton's team that is leading this um, so Jill Stein is leading this. She is doing, she's filed, like, her personally, I think, and, like, her team has filed these motions. They've raised all the money. And the Clinton team, like, behind the scenes has done their own analysis of the vote um, and all this stuff. They said they have, no one's found any evidence of um, significant fraud or vote tampering, tampering or anything else, although there are. Of course, it's the internet. There are always theories of um, hacking, especially mm-hmm. considering how much hacking affected the election with hacking of emails um, of the DNC and everything. So there are some people suggesting that there could have been hacking that affected the election or corruption, um, but no one's found any provable evidence of that so far. This is just a recount, and the Clinton team has said that they will support the recount, um, but they're not the ones heading it. They're just going to help. Mm-hmm. Also, although there is, I guess, a lot of incentive for Jill Stein to do it, if she does think that there was um, was a miscount of the votes, not only because not only because of Clinton, but um, if there were some votes like for her as well that were just not counted for some reason, um, that would be very. I mean, I think that would be very beneficial for her because, yes, she is a third party, but I'm pretty sure that if you get 5% of the popular vote, um, you can you automatically get placed on the next election's ticket, which means you save a lot of money from doing, from doing campaigns and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, she's basically put out all of her public statements are saying, like, this is about the integrity of the election and um, from things that we've observed... Like, there were a lot of blank ballots where mm-hmm. people, um, like, they were reported as not voting for the presidential candidates, but voting for other candidates, which people do, especially in an election like this, where both yes. candidates are very unfavorable. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she said things like like high numbers of um, blank votes for the presidential category and other factors raised questions about the counting and the integrity of the election, and this is about um, just basically ensuring that our democracy is being upheld and that the will of the people is being recognized, mm-hmm. which I think, fine, that's 
great. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not on the team. I don't know what evidence they've specifically found of this. The thing is that it's so expensive. Mm -hmm. And, like, they've crowdfunded millions of dollars for it. Millions of dollars that could have gone to charity. And I know that's a dumb thing because, like, that's not to say that someone would have donated $10 to charity, but instead they donated it to the recount. It's it's not a one-for-one exchange, but it always is kind of sad to see money going somewhere when it's very unlikely to have any real outcome at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Sort of not necessarily a waste if it's something you really believe in, and if there is, I mean, if I don't honestly don't think it's going to change anything, but if it does... I don't know, gives the elections some integrity or something, what what Jill Stein said she wanted, then I guess it's beneficial for her morally. But if it, I don't know, it's if it's not making any actual change, it's sometimes hard to justify. I mean, people donated their money freely. It's legal to do. Mm-hmm. They're going to do it. Fine. Like, this is America. Yeah, give your money wherever. Give your money to me. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we take donations. <laughs> Tweet at us. Slide into my DMs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Only if you come pack and cash, though. <laughs> Speaking of election recount, though, and possible fraud, Trump tweeted that there were millions of illegal votes for Hillary Clinton. The man literally claims that there was mass voter fraud that affected the final outcome of the election. The thing is, he, I guess he heard about the recounts happening and said that not only, well, like, first of all, he won and Clinton conceded and that was that, um, which is true. Mm-hmm. And that, but then he went on to say that he, because he knows that Clinton has won the popular vote by over 2 million votes at this point, I guess he was trying to think about how he can claim that more people voted for him when that's uh, factually incorrect. So he decided to claim that millions of people voted illegally mm-hmm. for Hillary Clinton and that he would have won the popular vote if not for all of the illegal votes. Yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. Also, just the fact that he tweets these things, like, I feel like every time he has his phone out, everyone around him is just like, oh my goodness. I don't, how what does he, he still have, why does his team let him have Twitter? It's, it's a lot. <laughs> because this is such a bizarre claim. And I, I, it goes into so much of, like, the psychology of Trump in that he can't stand that he lost. Like, he won, but he's a sore loser about it. So a sore winner? But he's not even being... Like, being a sore winner is like, haha, I won and you lost, which he's being also, too. But he's also still being a sore loser and being like, oh, I actually won, even though you got more votes than me. And it's like, aren't you satisfied? Can't you be satisfied with the fact that you won the Electoral College? Oh, and he also likes claiming that he would have won the popular vote, but because of the Electoral College, he only, he campaigned in different states than he would have if it was by popular vote. Yeah, he's pulling all sorts of convoluted statements to try to make it seem like he rightfully earned the popular vote or would have rightfully earned the popular vote. But it's just like, like clearly an absurd claim. Like that's not true. There is a certain amount of illegal voting and voter fraud that mm-hmm. goes on, but it's very small. Like, it's not enough to impact the outcome of an election. I mean, yes, it's small. Like, it's definitely not the millions that he's claiming. But 
it could, I mean, not in his favor, it could impact the election just because Michigan was really close, like 10,000 votes. Like, I could I could see 10,000 um, votes being miscounted or some fraud with that. Like, it's a much more reasonable number, at least, than the millions that he's claiming. But that would be 10,000 votes all in one state. Like, in one direction, illegally. Hmm. I don't think there's that much going on. What is interesting, though, about, at least for me, I thought, I found it very hard to, I found it very hard to find objective articles explaining what was really going on, because everything I read was either very liberal or very conservative, saying, oh, yeah, um, there's no voter fraud, or there's minimal voter fraud, and then, like, the far right articles are saying, oh, no, Trump could be right, like, there could be millions of, so it's, it's just very... It's just annoying that, and I know I can't do anything about it, and that it's just the way it is, that the media is going to be biased in either either direction, and it's just, there are very few objective sources I feel that I can trust, mm-hmm. which makes me sad. That's such a frustrating thing about the media, and I, and I feel like this topic in particular is difficult because it... Um, I feel like voter fraud is one of those things that, depending on how you measure it, like even different valid ways of measuring it, you get different results. Mm -hmm. And it's also hard to measure because if it's successful voter fraud, you wouldn't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think that's the point. True. (laughs) I don't know a lot about this, clearly, and how they measure it. Um, But yeah, and there is no objective news source. And even things like the New York Times, which is supposed to be like very rigorous journalism, and it is rigorous journalism, but at the same time, like, it does have bias. Mm-hmm. And the only way to balance that is to read multiple sources of information and try to read left-leaning and right-leaning mm-hmm. places, um, which still doesn't give you a perfect picture because you you have to try to, like, center them and it's this weird mm-hmm. balancing act. But human brains aren't good at that at all. So you just, your brain just latches onto the one it likes more. and That's, like, the whole good. psychological thing, right? If you put people... Um, of the same opinion all in the same room, and then they leave feeling stronger about the same opinion? Mm-hmm. Group think or something like that? Yeah, it's group think. It's confirmation bias. P- this is fun psychological effect. If you give people um, the same article, for example, but they have different views on it, they will find things in the passage that affirm their own views and ignore the things that don't affirm their views. Mm-hmm. And so people with two different opinions will think that something... Um, supports them. Mm-hmm. Both of them will think that. That's so terrifying. That's so. Ugh, and I mean, that's, that's so not. Bizarre. That's not anyone's fault. Um, because that's literally how brains work, and I'm sure there's some kind of caveman reason for that. But at the same time, like it's something that you have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And like this show is no exception. Like we have our biases. We announced to them. <laughs> we yeah, had a conversation did. about them at the beginning of this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, and. So, like, I wouldn't want someone to have this show as their only source of news. First of all, that's a lot of pressure. First, second of all, you would not be coming to us for sports advice, and sports it does make up a, a lot of news, I feel. Yeah. So we would completely, we're completely irrelevant on that count. Not, I am saying listen to the show. Listen to the show, get all your friends to listen to the show, but also listen to other shows. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then have the opinion that we're better. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to agree with us, but you have to think we're the best. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
you could argue with everything we say, except that we're the best. You can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm sure we will have so much more fun election news next week. Oh, I love talking about this, Quinn. It just makes me so happy. <laughs> well, let's talk about something more cheerful, like Cuban dictators. <laughs> For those who haven't heard, Fidel Castro died at the age of 90 on Black Friday, which some people have found very interesting because <laughs> the guy who spent his life trying to fight capitalism um, died on the day where many capitalists rejoice. I also saw something that was like, Castro survived 638 assassination attempts. You know what finally killed him? 2016. <laughs> also, before we really Wait, get into- really? 600? I don't know if that's an accurate number. I, that was the number that I read. I literally don't know. I don't know if there's an actual record of how many times we tried to assassinate him, but it was quite a few. I was talking about this with our other roommate, Azra, before um, you got home, mm -hmm. and I was, and she was like, what did he die of? And I was like, he was 90. I think he died from being alive too long. And she was like, no, like, it has to be something specifically. Like, was it an organ failure? And I was like, I don't know, you med school nerd. Look it up yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so Fidel Castro died. And the weird thing is, I, for my entire life, for reference, I'm 19 years old, there hasn't been a lot of it yet, but I grew up um, with not a lot of education about Castro, but anytime someone talked about him, it was in a very negative way. Mm -hmm. um, Castro was always this horrible person, he was this horrible dictator. Mm -hmm. I actually um, had a teacher in high school whose parents fled Cuba from, mm -hmm. like, fl fled Castro, um... So that was the perspective that I was getting. And I've talked to other people about this and they were like, oh yeah, me too. Like it was always just Castro was bad. Um, and then he died and there were a lot of people that were very happy, but there were also a lot of people that were really upset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found that so weird because I too also grew up with the whole notion that, oh, um, Castro's a dictator. He's awful. Like, And I thought that was the end of end of the story and like everyone just sort of went along with that you know but like the fact that there are a lot of mixed opinions about this is just very interesting because he under him latin america did grow um made huge gains economically but it's just it's just a weird i don't know it's just a weird way of thinking about it i guess i will be interested to see how the history books paint him I feel like it would depend on, you know, where the history book is being published. Oh, yeah. I'm sure if the history book is published in Cuba, it'll be real good. <laughs> and not so much in America. But, um, well, if you saw the the Cubans in Cuba were devastated when he died, um, for the most part. Like, mm -hmm. it was a day of mourning. The Cubans in America... Um, like, Who had fled Cuba. Yeah, like the, the incredibly large Cuban-American population in Florida, who are the people who fled from Castro and their children, uh, had a party. Mm -hmm. Like, literally partied all day. Mm -hmm. um, and we were like, oh, okay, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And the Miami Herald published a very long obituary of Fidel Castro that um, did a good job of explaining his life story and why he was so controversial and the way, like, the good things that he did um, and the things that he perceived, 
the things that he did that were perceived as very good by his people and also the ways that he was horrible and um, so many people suffered under his rule. Mm -hmm. In my German class today, we were talking about, you know, Fidel Castro and we were talking about when someone is described as a good dictator, do we mean a benevolent dictator or do we mean like an effective dictator? And Castro was definitely a very effective dictator. Um, he did get a lot done, <laughs> um, but it's obviously, you know, very subjective, depending on who you ask, if he was a, nece- a good dictator. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that plain- painting with very broad strokes here, um, he did make a lot of economic progress. Mm-hmm. He did, like, he got Cuba independent from the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were into communism, he was probably real great for you. <laughs> But, and then on the other hand, like, he had a very harsh regime. um, Ruthless, restricted a lot of people's rights. Yeah. You know, the huge. You know, the classic dictator things. And it's one of those things is, like, like the world just got more complicated again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting how Trump now handles um, Cuban-American relations. Yeah, because Castro's dead. Because, I mean, they they had been um, loosening over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Like, we've had a kind of a thaw, we'll say, with mm-hmm. Cuba recently, especially since Castro stepped down in mm-hmm. um, 2008. And, well, I don't know. Yeah. There have been more opportunities to get Cuban cigars. So, that's always good. I'm glad you have priorities. <laughs> Not that I smoke because I have asthma, but... And also, Justin Trudeau, can we talk about that? Oh, yeah, so, okay. This was a little weird. This went a little far, I think. <laughs> Justin Trudeau tweeted, um, or probably made a whole statement, actually, it wasn't just a tweet. Um, He's not Donald Trump. He does not say everything that's on his mind in 140 characters. <sighs> but yeah, he made this statement about how, basically, Castro was, I think he said something like, it's complicated, but also I really liked him. And my father and he were friends, and I was, like, felt so blessed to meet him that one time. And we were all like, what? That's okay. Well. Yeah, he referred to him as a controversial figure. I love the word controversial. Covers a multitude of sins. Because <laughs> you can say a new type of shoe is controversial if people are talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Nike. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> But you can also say, like, oh, a dictator who killed people is controversial. He used some controversial, questionable methods in his regime. <laughs> yeah, I feel like people use the word controversial to avoid getting into the complexities of um, deep divides of political opinions. <laughs> and I think it is a very useful word. Yeah, maybe not the word you want to use to describe Fidel Castro. Because while true does not encompass how people actually feel about him and the effect that he actually had on the world. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel that controversial sort of implies that people do have mixed feelings and themselves. But here, I think it's because it's hard to use controversial when for some people it's plain as day. But the, t- the two groups of those people have completely polar opposite views. It makes me wonder how people will talk about Putin when he dies. Mm, interesting. A con- probably controversial. <laughs> A controversial figure. Oh man, Ugh. what is the world? <laughs> 
So for our last story for this episode, we've had a couple of topics that have come over the past few weeks that all tie into the idea of slut shaming. So we're going to talk about that for a little while. Yes. Yes, we are. So slut shaming is this concept of when you put down women for usually how they're dressed. um, Being promiscuous, if they date a lot, things like that. Yeah. And basically this idea of if a woman is sleeping with a lot of people, then that is... She has loose morals. <laughs> yeah. It's degrading a woman who sleeps with a lot of people. Or, e- even further, just degrading a woman for dressing in a certain way that makes it seem like mm-hmm. she quote-unquote is promiscuous, whether she is or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a whole fun and interesting way to degrade women. As if we need more ways. But yeah, it's just a completely double, a complete double standard um, because men are often praised for, you know, how many people they can get with and it's not, not quite the case with women. So mm-hmm. there's that. So first of all, Joe Jonas. <laughs> Joe Jonas. This whole story is, is, a, is a complicated excuse to let Jillian talk about Joe Jonas. <laughs> okay, first of all, not sure if this has not been confirmed, I don't think, by their publicist yet, so we don't know, but there has been a lot of evidence that says that uh, the Game of Thrones character, um, Sophie... Sophie Turner. Sophie Turner, yes, who plays... Ugh, Sansa Stark. Yes, the greatest <laughs> redhead ever in that series. Um, I think she's the only redhead, but it's fine. My, It's, it's fine. So her and Joe Jonas got together or something over Thanksgiving. So there has there have been some pictures on Instagram, not on their accounts, but on accounts of, you know, friends and family where they're together. And in one article, he Joe Jonas is referred to as DNCE, the dance member. He has a new band that doesn't include his brothers, and now he's being referred to Joe Jonas, the member of dance or whatever band he's in now and He's not referred to as one of the original Jonas Brothers. Like, this is absolute blasphemy. blasphemy. I'm sorry that he has a career. <sighs> and also, just going off of that, um, remember when him and Demi Lovato dated during Camp Rock? And then remember when him and Taylor Swift dated? And how come Taylor Swift gets slut-shamed for all the guys she dates? But nobody is saying anything about Joe Jonas. Jillian also included a comprehensive list of all the women Joe Jonas has dated. Because um, <laughs> for some reason you know that. Yes, and the sad thing is, I didn't even have to, like, look this up on Wikipedia or anything. It was, it was just me from sheer memory from all the, all the Teen Vogue articles I read in my former, former years. Perfect. <laughs> but no, and so this is what brought up this whole topic is this idea that like, okay, so Joe Jonas is now dating this new actress and whatever, and he's dated all of these famous women, and then how come he doesn't have this standard put on him that Taylor Swift does? Right. Who is one of his exes. Mm -hmm. The song Forever and Always is about Joe Jonas. Yes. It's a great song. The song Better in Revenge is about Camilla Bell, who Joe Jonas dated after Taylor Swift. Ooh. Oh, Joe Jonas also came up with a song about Taylor Swift as well. What is it? I I don't remember what it's called, but there's there's a line in the song somewhere about like teardrops on my guitar or, <gasps> or like there are no teardrops on my guitar or something like that and the i was shade. just like whoa <laughs> savage <laughs> absolute savage so yeah people get weird about taylor swift all the time and about all of the people that she's dating and or all whatever. the all the songs that 
she writes about where she talks about like guys who have spurned her or whatever and they're kind of they're like sort of empowering like i enjoy listening to them and then she gets oh all she ever talks about is boys like blah 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 but ed sheeran all he talks about is girls like bruno mars for every song that he releases which is like grenade the song grenade i would catch a grenade for you um i doubt that i highly (laughs) doubt that you would not you would probably throw me in front of it or something to like block yourself you know like i would be a human shield so anyways we're getting a little off topic but no, yeah, there is totally this double standard. And I mean, this applies to like all women, but you can especially see it using Taylor Swift as a test case where she can't do anything. And w- this is not a debate on the, like flaws and merits of Taylor Swift. Like mm-hmm. she has both. She's a human. We're, we have clearly come out as pro Taylor Swift. <laughs> but um, And like, why is she not allowed to date? Exactly. Like, She's young, she's beautiful, she should just be able to do whatever she wants. Yeah, so every time she goes out with anyone, everyone's like, oh, like, Taylor Swift is dating again, like, can't wait for the song. Stop. (laughs) I mean, yes, I I also can't wait for the song that comes out, but her next album, whenever it comes out, but still. Oh, I'm so excited for her next album, but not to hear, not in, like, a weird, snide way, in a genuinely excited way. (laughs) Yes, in a very, very excited way, which is probably sadder on our part. Do you think there has been any progress, especially recently? I mean, Kim Kardashian um, is obviously one of, if not the most well-known one of the most well-known sex symbols of our time, of our generation. And the way that she embraces her sexuality is pretty... I would say it's, like, sort of refreshing. And I don't know, I wonder if there can be more steps taken in that direction and if somehow that will reduce the stigma that is slut-shaming. Or that slut-shaming emulates. Mm -hmm. It's a complicated topic um, because... It, it's this idea of um, sexual agency, and when uh, people slut-shame women, and women slut-shame other women, like, mm-hmm. we're not saying this is uh, just men, but um, it's the idea that, like, the woman who is being put down is not, is denied agency um, in that scenario, and so she is, like, the sexual object. Right. Um, instead of being the sexual subject, whereas Kim Kardashian is saying, no, like, I am the subject, this is my sexuality, mm-hmm. um... And I feel completely free to take naked selfies and share them um, because I am choosing this and this is my agency. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And she also sent... So after she released that picture or whatever where she was, I think, topless on twitter maybe she's she's released a couple pictures where she's topless or she's there was one where she's completely naked with one of her friends they're they're um they have sensor bars on them so that they're still allowed by like twitter guidelines or whatever but like you can see basically everything she got a lot of smack for that and the thing is one actress i'm probably gonna butcher her last name but emily radakowski uh she was in the blurred lines music video she was in the movie gone girl um, she's also a model, you know, casually, just, just, just some side hobbies. It's fine. Ugh, I already love her. Yeah, she's great. But she, um, she came out in defense of Kim Kardashian and then the two of them took a topless photo together, uh, which went viral. Um, but it's just interesting because Emily Radikowski, she has been saying that she is trying to perme- uh, permeate this idea that women are not just sex symbols, that they can also be smart sexy and serious and i was in one of the notes of my thing was 
Ugh, I ask myself this every day, why you can't be sexy and serious and smart, but it's a short conversation because I am none of those three, but it's fine. Oh my god, Jillian. (laughs) (laughs) And not to bring up the election, because I feel like we've talked that to death, but a lot of people are slut-shaming Melania Trump because when she was younger, she had very provocative photos, and it's just interesting because it seems that a lot of people have no problem slut-shaming Melania Trump, but when it comes to other women, it, it it's a huge issue. And so, yes, Melania Trump is no Michelle Obama, and Kim Kardashian is never, is not the first, well, doesn't Kanye want to run for president? Anyways. I don't think anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> um, and Melania Trump isn't, we're not saying that she's, you know, the next Kim Kardashian, where she's, you know, openly displaying her sexuality. But if we continue to have this idea that Melania Trump is unfit to be the floatist because she displayed her sexuality when she was younger. That just sort of makes, digs the hole deeper. Like, it doesn't help anything. I feel like it's this weird (laughs) hypocritical thing where um, people, like, really push back and rush to the defense of these famous liberal women who are Mm slut-shamed because... um, it tends to be, like, women of the same political ideology who are really aware of this mm-hmm. and are really fighting for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not thinking about the way that they themselves do it when they're attacking a conservative woman. Right. Um, and I don't think that slut-shaming is right at all. Like, I don't think that because um, pictures of your body are available that that, like, precludes you from being serious and intelligent I think there are many, many perfectly valid reasons to criticize the Trumps without getting into, like, body shaming and slut shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Definitely. like, you can't hold people to different standards because they're... Based on their political views. Yeah, like, that's completely the opposite of what we're going for here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Basically, I just think it's important for us to really think about the standards that we hold ourselves to. Because if you're going to say slut shaming is wrong... Um, and that one, it's okay for women to dress and express themselves however they want, and two, it's okay for them to express their sexuality however they want, um, because there's no wrong way to do that, then you have to hold the, you have to hold yourself to that standard. You can't just attack other people for for doing it when it's someone that you like. Mm -hmm. You, you can't default to attacking someone's body or someone's sexuality, um, just because you don't like them. And it's it's a lot harder to do um, in practice, I would say. Oh, because, absolutely. Yeah. So if we want to change how the world perceives women, then we also have to change this view of ourselves because I feel like it is sort of ingrained, at least I was sort of raised under this, not raised under this double standard, but um, definitely believing or have th- thinking that there was some merit behind um, this double standard and definitely not maybe openly slut shaming people, but definitely thinking to myself, oh, like this girl is blah, 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 blah. And it's just, I, you need to tell yourself when I, whenever I catch myself doing that, like, I just need to tell myself that no, Jillian, let's stop doing that. It's a way I think a lot of us grew up is this unconscious idea that was taught to us by the media and society that you're worth more, um, if you are, like, more modest Mm -hmm. as a woman. And so someone who is 
dresses more provocatively um, or is more open with their sexuality is somehow worth less than a modest woman. Mm-hmm. And um, even though that's completely false equivalence. Yes. And it's just very hard because I went to Catholic school for literally 18 years and, you know, with a strict dress code and girls couldn't wear um, skirts that were above the knee and things like that. And it's just all about covering yourself up. And I just feel like that's also a very, not only in the sense that it's dissuading women from being who they are and embracing their sexuality and who they want to be, but also just even mentally, emotionally, like this feeling that you should always be covered up and just always like try to reduce yourself to, or not reduce yourself, but make yourself as unnoticeable as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that's also a really good point is this idea that like women should not take up space Mm -hmm. and women should not be loud and noticeable. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure that's something we'll get to talk about more. I love feminist analysis, guys. (laughs) And basically just all women should feel comfortable to dress how they want to dress. I mean, like, you can't just, like, walk around naked because we just have decency standards and um, laws about that kind of thing. Also, I feel like it just wouldn't make sense weather-wise. I mean, it's just not... It's so cold all the time. It's so cold up here. Yeah, but, like, if you are most comfortable completely covered from head to toe, then do that. If you're most comfortable, just, like chilling in a tube top and mini shorts and like go for that too and if you want to have some days where you dress in like a short skirt and a crop top and then other days where you're like me and just roll out of bed and (laughs) put on sneakers and go to class then yeah like there should be no limit on how you choose to express yourself express yourself oh yes quinn (laughs) yes we wanted to wrap up today's show by talking a little bit about the reviews that we're getting on itunes Partly to make you want to review our show. Review our show. And then we'll address it in our next episode. Woo! Yeah, but some of the reviews were so good we had to talk about them. First of all, my new favorite review that I've ever gotten was just the only line was, they hate Trump, they love Taylor Swift and Kim Kardashian. Five stars. (laughs) Five stars. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad. (laughs) I love that person. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But then someone also left us questions in reviews. So I'll make this deal with you. If you want to know a fun fact about Jillian or I, give us a five-star review on iTunes and ask the question in your review and we will answer it. We will definitely answer it. You also have to say nice things about us. Don't just, like, leave the question. That will confuse new listeners. (laughs) (laughs) But this person, Joshua, had some questions. First of all, what is your favorite Starbucks holiday drink? So I actually had to look this up because (laughs) I was supposed to be studying and Quinn was like, what are you doing? And I'm literally on the Starbucks website, like looking up the different holiday drinks. And I'm like, I don't remember which one's my favorite. (laughs) But um, skinny peppermint mocha. I'm going to pick the peppermint hot chocolate. Ooh, I love peppermint. I love chocolate. I love them together. Any chocolate mint together, I will eat it. Give it to me. See, that's where we're different because I don't like peppermint and chocolate together i like them separately but i don't like them together thin mints worst creation ever i love thin mints. unpopular opinion i know unpopular opinion okay well you can send us thin mints and i'll eat all of them (laughs) uh what do you think of the concept of peak oil okay so i'm i'm just gonna it's just a theory and then of course i have like this long economics explanation basically supply and demand if we're running low then um prices will increase and then demand for that will decrease because you know the price so everything sort of balances out but i mean even if there is such a thing as peak oil we wouldn't know about it until like years after so i don't know it's an interesting theory um i don't really have much more of a concrete say on it 
Yeah, I don't really know a lot about it either. I was kind of counting on your economic knowledge for this question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but now it's, I have something else to worry about. So thank you for that, Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason why Quinn can't sleep at night. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to sleep so well tonight. I'm so tired. <laughs> oh. um, and last question, favorite movie of all time? Okay, so it's a three-way tie between Bye Bye Birdie, Meet Me in St. Louis, and The Wizard of Oz. And yes, very basic, but also ugh, Judy Garland is bae. You are so adorable. <laughs> my favorite movie is Rent, uh, the movie musical. It's also my favorite musical. It's amazing. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Yes, if you would also like to send us Broadway tickets. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> If anyone's got the Hamilton hookup. <laughs> Literally, though. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter at MixedFeelingsFM. You can find our show notes at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings. Um, you can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me at underscore Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And I'm Jillian Parker. And these are our Mixed Feelings. <laughs>